thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Well, happy July, everyone. This is Vincent Aiello, host of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Now, this is July 3rd. We've got the big Independence Day weekend coming up. And if you listened to episode 85 on June 23rd, then you remember that we are taking a break. We've been hitting it pretty hard all year, and we just need time to regroup, think about some other things we're doing, and just take a little downtime over the big holiday weekend. Anyway, I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, just one quick announcement. If you look on our Facebook page or go to YouTube and look for Business Insider and search for my name, you will see that we did another one of those Fighter Pilot Reacts videos. We talked about it. And although it's not out yet as I am recording this, but by the time you hear this, there might be another Vanity Fair episode as well with the next five videos that I did for them. So anyway, a lot going on there. And we are working on some future episodes coming up in the middle of the month. In the meantime, I want to replay for you a conversation that I had with a gentleman named Paul Wood. You will find out in a moment that he is the founder of the Warbird Heritage Foundation. And he's a really amazing guy with a great story. And this is what we call happy hour. Now, if you are familiar with Mike's aircrew interviews on YouTube, then it's a little bit like that. Basically, I'm just chatting with someone and we're talking about anything that comes to mind. It's a very casual arrangement. Usually we have a refreshment of some sort as the name happy hour would imply. And what we do is we either record the audio or an audio video if it's remote through Zoom. And then we replay it on our Patreon page for our exclusive listeners. They get to hear all these. I think we've done four or five by now. And anyway, we want to replay this one so that you'll get to know Mr. Wood. And I'll come back at the end and give you a little update on what's coming next. So anyway, enjoy this happy hour discussion between me and Paul Wood. And keep in mind, even though I'm already a terrible radio host, uh, in this case, we're just two guys talking on Zoom. There was video at the time. So when I listened to it to edit it slightly for this setting, eh, I realized I interrupt and make sounds and different things, but it was a conversation. And I bet if someone recorded a conversation of you and a friend, it'd probably sound about the same. Anyway, let's get to it and I'll see you on the backside. All right, there we go. How you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? I've <laughs> listened to your podcast about a million, million times. I finally get to actually see your lips move when you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't hold too high of expectations. My wife will tell you it gets old quickly, but no, it's good to connect and uh, welcome to happy hour as we call it. Uh, what did you bring yourself? I have a, uh, a nice uh, fine Pilsner here. <laughs> okay, I have a, a Mike choice. Hess. Uh, looks like a local San Diego brewery. So uh, nice. cheers to you. Uh, cheers. Cheers. All right. Excellent. Well, I'm glad this worked out. And gosh, you said on the phone the other day you had quite the day. What'd you do? Fly the F-86 one day and then... Teach I, I did, yeah. yeah I, I, I flew the F-86 one day and then the next day I flew the T-6 and then the next day I flew the T-2 
And today I spent about an hour uh, hangar flying our Corsair, which is not yet flying, uh-huh. but it should be flying in the next two to three weeks. So we're getting ready to get it out and start. We've done engine runs and taxi tests and all that, and still doing a little bit of fine tuning. Then we'll take that to the air probably in the next three weeks, I think. Awesome. It's a seven-year restoration project. Wow. Wow, that is quite an effort. And so it's what, Warbird Heritage Foundation? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Foundation. Yeah. Now, how did, you, how did you start that? Well, uh, you know, I've been in, interested in aviation since I was a, uh, about six years old. Uh, my uh, uh, grandfather actually was an uh, aeronautical engineer for Lockheed and out in California. We'd go out and visit him, and, and uh, I always, you know, always like what your grandfather did. You know, I thought oh, yeah. Really so he kind of got me, kind of sparked that interest. And so ever since I was about six years old, I was reading every magazine you could think of and <laughs> building models and all that kind of stuff. And in high school, I was a grease monkey at the local airport and started to get flying lessons and all that. Um, was going to try and go to the Air Force Academy. Um, didn't think about the Naval Academy at the time, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I had really bad eyes. I mean, I had, I had Coke bottles for glasses. Uh, okay. That was the time in the... Vietnam was winding down, so it was sort of the 72, 3, 4 sort of time frame. Right. So, uh, and so they weren't, uh, you know, taking anybody for pilot slots, right. even for LASIK or any of that other stuff. So so I went to college and all that. So, uh, But then about 30 years ago or so, I got my pilot's license, and, and I've been flying very aggressively since then. And um, I always was interested in the military aviation and military style of flying. And uh, so uh, I think in uh, about in the 90s, uh, I bought a, um, a T-28, so an uh, old Navy trainer, learned how to fly that. And I thought that was really fun and really cool. And then I was in an airport one day and I saw a guy with a Stearman, uh, an open cockpit biplane, you know. Okay. And, Wow, now that was really cool. So I bought that one. Uh, then I, I can't remember what happened after that. I think uh, I think I might have started thinking about jets and got an L thirty nine. Anyway, just it just sort of built, and then and uh, I accumulated a few of the airplanes, and I thought, you know what, this might turn into something a little bit more than just flying airplanes. And so I created a museum, basically called the Warbird Heritage Foundation. We started that in 2003, and the purpose of it is to acquire, restore, and operate historic military aircraft. Okay. So the whole idea behind it is that you can go to a museum uh, and stand behind a rope, and you can look at a Corsair, and you can say, oh, isn't that cool? It's got an inverted gull wing. Isn't that neat? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can't experience the airplane by seeing it fly by hearing the sounds seeing the smoke smelling it you know all that so our whole deal is we want to operate these airplanes so they're not static display we have 16 airplanes now um and or 15 um and uh they all operate and so the whole theory behind it is they have to be uh historically significant so we wouldn't necessarily have airplanes in that are, you know, didn't have a particularly significant right. part in conflicts around the world or whatever. Uh, they have to be original, uh, and they have to be fully operational, and they have to be rare. So <laughs> some of the airplanes we have 
are pretty rare. Like a T2 Buckeye, there's only two of them flying in civilian hands right now. Wow. And the F-86, there's maybe yeah. less than a dozen. Hold on, Paul, though. I, yeah. I have to stop you. And, and if this is asking you to kiss and tell, I apologize. But if I was into old muscle cars, I can go down and get an old Mustang or Camaro. I mean, these days, they're not that cheap, but they're not that expensive. Yeah. You're talking about picking up airplanes and just left and right. I mean, airplanes aren't cheap. No, they're, they're not. They're not. I have a very understanding wife. <laughs> I uh, say, yeah. Right. No, I I, uh, I got lucky. I, after college, I went to graduate school, business school, and I had a pretty successful business career. So okay. I was able to retire early. Uh, so I retired at fifty three, and uh, so I've I've been uh, kind of doing this as, as all right. Hobby. Well, like I said, I'm I'm not asking to uh, know the inner workings of too much here. I hope, but uh, you know, just quote unquote picking up an L thirty nine has never I don't think crossed my lips. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, I always, I always wanted to be a military aviator, and I uh, was never able to do it. And so I'm getting my revenge now. Ah, well, you probably made more money than I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you created the foundation here, and uh, so for those of uh, who are able to watch this, we're recording on Zoom. I'm going to share the screen because you have really amazing hangar, if you will, full of airplanes here. And I don't know, you said some of these are belong to other folks and they're all part of the organization. Is that right? Oh, no, they're all part of the museum. All part of the, okay. And you run yeah, that? Everyone. everyone. Yep. All right. So we have an F-86 F Sabre here and we can drop anchor on some of these if you want, but I see yeah, a absolutely. P-51 Mustang, a Skyhawk, a Texan, a Sky Raider. Uh, like you said, the L-39. I mean, the T-2 the Stearman, these are some really amazing airplanes. I guess the one I want to ask you about right away is the P-51, because that was always one of my childhood favorites. Is it as cool as it? I think it is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, it is. In, in a word, <laughs> the answer is yes. Oh, man. Um, so, you know, the P-51 is just, it's got beautiful lines, um, mm. and it was, it's so historically significant in World War II. It really changed the whole complexion of World War II, because it was the only airplane that the Allies had that could actually escort the B-17s all the way to Germany, right. fight off the Luftwaffe, and escort them all the way back. And before that, you know, our, our tactical bombing, or I don't know if it's tactical or strategic bombing, it just didn't work because, you know, we were taking such heavy losses because oh, we could only escort the bombers part way there, and the Luftwaffe knew it, and they would just wait until the fighters peeled off and then, you know, the bombers were easy prey. So right. uh, it really changes. So uh, they made about 15,000 of them. And there's, there's some really interesting history about how the airplane was designed and, and all of that, which we could go into yeah. at some point if you want. Um, but there's only about 150 left flying right now. Uh, and I would say of any of the airplanes that are warbirds, the Merlin engine. So the, 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 the engine that the Mustang has is a Rolls Royce engine, right? Liquid cooled V 12 engine called the Merlin engine. And it was built in the United States under license from the, by the Packard motor company. So okay. most Mustangs have Packard built Merlin engines. Uh, I gotcha. And, uh, so, but they have probably the sweetest sound mm. uh, of any airplane. When it, when a Mustang does a low pass, at 320 or 350 knots or something like that down the runway, it is the sweetest sound in the world. I mean, no doubt about it. Well, unless you're the World War II Luftwaffe, but yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I've been to the Reno Air Races a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I've 
guessing you've been there? Oh, yeah, many times. Okay. And uh, yeah, that sound is just fantastic. Did I read correctly? I don't know if you know anything about this, but maybe it was the P-38. But I I read that, of course, when the war ended, the production at home was still going on. And some of these, they were built and flown somewhere and destroyed right away. And that just breaks my heart. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them were. So a lot of these airplanes, uh, they have very interesting histories. You can't do it now, but back then you could buy a P-51 Mustang surplus for about $1,500. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you could literally $1,500 and you could buy it for almost the value of the fuel that was in the gas tank. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and now they're, you know, incredibly oh, expensive. Yeah. Add a few zeros to the back. Well, Paul, when you and I create a time machine, let's do that first. Let's go back to 1946 <laughs> yeah, or whatever exactly. and buy a whole fleet of those and store them. Buy a bunch of climate P-38s because P-38s are really expensive now. Yeah. They're I wanted to crazy. ask you, yeah. Are you on yeah. your, are you on the lookout for one of those or? <sighs> yeah, maybe. I think, I think our next one, so we have, uh, if you look at the collection, um, we have World War One in the form of the Newport 28. Okay. Uh, now, that's technically a replica, but it is a highly original replica. Okay. And that's the only exception sort of to our rule because we just couldn't get an actual physical World War One airplane. It just, you know, it, it was just too complicated, too hard to find them. They're way too valuable. They're, they're too rare. Uh, they're very unreliable mechanically. <laughs> so they're right. just not, they're really not that safe to fly. But so we have World War One, we have World War Two, both European theater and Pacific theater. So we've got yeah. the Corsair Pacific, a Mustang in Europe. The P thirty eight was in both of those theaters, right? They they flew in Europe and they flew in the Pacific. But we don't have anything in the China Burma uh, theater. Wow. So our next Next acquisition target would be a P-40. Uh-huh. So that would be Claire Chenault's uh, Flying Tigers P-40. So that way we would have World War II and we would have the Pacific Theater covered, the European Theater, and the China-Burma Theater covered. I see. So you take an approach of historical cover the world kind of thing, not just the airplane, but uh, remnants, if you will, from each. Yeah, because yeah, we want to be able to tell when, when people come into the museum to visit or we take the airplanes to air shows, we want to be able to tell the story of mm. not only the airplane, but how it was used. Maybe some stories about the people and the pilots who flew them, things like that to sort of bring it to life. Yeah. As opposed to just seeing a static display. So. Uh, well, and that's what you said earlier. There's nothing like hearing, feeling, smelling, yeah. all that. Of course, all that comes at a cost and i'm not talking money here necessarily but effort wise you've yeah. got a i saw on your website a staff of folks so there are amps that keep all these things flying right yeah and, absolutely uh, so, so it's quite an effort they're all, i'm sure they're, they're all operational they all have to be uh they have to go through annual inspection mm-hmm. so we have a flying season and a maintenance season basically all right so our flying season starts about may 1st and ends at the end of october and then our maintenance season starts November 1st and ends the end of April, right? right. So, so uh, we, have, we have a couple of different hangars. And so we have restoration projects going on, but we also have the maintenance things going on. So in the summertime, we're what, you know, it, um, you've heard of the term FBO, right? A fixed sure. base operator, FBO. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. we're not an FBO, we're an FBF. We fly them, we break them, we fix them. <laughs> so 
in the summertime, we fly them, and all we do is the mechanics spend time fixing squawks. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I flew the T2 the other day, and the canopy seal didn't didn't close properly. So, yeah. you know, we were speed limited, had to come back and land and fix that. So, you know, there's, these things are old airplanes. It's not like getting a brand new car off the lot. Right. It's like built in the 40s and the 50s or whatever, and and things tend to break. Um, oh, yeah. Knock on wood, so far nothing's broken that is serious, but we're constantly fixing little squawks or chasing leaks, yeah. you know, hydraulic leaks or oil leaks or fuel leaks or, you know, all but, that sort of thing. Paul, let me ask you something, because you have a long experience in aircraft and with the older aircraft. I wonder if this is true. I've always thought that aircraft tend to break more when you don't use them than when you do. Do you have any evidence to suggest oh, that might? Yeah, do you agree? Particularly... Um, <laughs> You know, the Mustang's a perfect example of that. I find that it, if I fly it regularly, mm-hmm. and if I regularly, I'm thinking, you know, like let's say once every two weeks or something like that. So it's not every day. But if I fly it regularly, it starts easier. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to warm up a little bit quicker, um, you know, and, and, and it just, it's, it seems to be happier. Um, if I let the airplane sit for two months, and it doesn't fly, you know, like the seals start getting brittle. It mm-hmm. starts to leak a little bit. You get a little coolant leak here. It doesn't <laughs> start as easily. So there, there, you know, there's a lot to that. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're complicated mechanical pieces of equipment and they yeah. need to be exercised and lubricated and get the oil running through the system, you know, right. but you're right. absolutely right. That's totally true. Well, and uh, it's a bit of a tangent, but I think uh, fairly appropriate at this time when I think about the airlines, uh, my airline particularly, having parked all these airplanes in the desert right now during the COVID recovery. And I think, okay, I hope someone's looking after those airplanes because it's easy to park them. They were flying great. But once you set them for a month or two, it's a whole different story. Like you said, things suddenly start leaking or seals decide they were fine when they were regularly lubricated, but now they're going to get brittle and break and all kinds of stuff. So getting those back to life, I think I'm I'm assuming they're going to have to do some sort of mechanical review of them before they just, they're not going to just turn the key and go, I wouldn't think. No. And I I imagine where they have them parked, they've got a crew of folks that take care of them. And then of course that's, they're usually, well, with some exceptions, they're parked at busy airports, but for the most part, like in Victorville here in California, they'll have to send a crew out and fly it to LA or somewhere anyway. So they'll have a chance to kind of run it through. It's dry out there, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why they pick it. Yeah. All right, so what do you guys do? I mean, you don't just fly for jollies. Uh, do you do tours? Do you go to air shows, go to air races? What do you do? Uh, well, uh, we do a lot of air shows. Uh, I used, I, I'm used i doing fewer air shows now than I used to, but I used to do... <laughs> Is anybody uh, doing air shows right now? Well, none, none right now. None <laughs> okay. Right now. But uh, we used to do... Um, I used to be very active on the air show circuit. I used to do a TAC demo in the A4, and I did a TAC demo in the F-86, uh, I was part of the uh, first uh, civilian jet demo team, uh, oh. and we flew L-39s. That was back in the 90s. Uh, so we did that. I fly for the Navy Legacy Flight Program now. So I fly the, the A-4, the T-2, and soon the Corsair, you know, in the Legacy Flight Program. So Which means you're in formation with a Hornet, for example? Correct, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we do, uh, the Hornet may do a tech demo, and then I'll take off in the A4 and they'll have another guy take off in a Corsair 
and we'll do a particular formation right. uh, display at, at the air show where you can see World War II, you know, Vietnam and modern fighters all in formation together. Right. Uh, air Force has the same, same uh, oh, yeah. called the Heritage Flight Program. Yes. Right. Yeah. Anyone who's on Instagram, I think every year you see all the pictures, you'll have an F-22 right. and an A-10 and then a P-51 and something else, an F-86 yeah. or something. Yeah, so, we, okay. yeah, we do the same thing for the Navy with the Hornets and then Corsairs okay. uh, or A-4 or Sky Raider, Navy Sky Raider, or, you know, a couple of other things. We yeah. do some for the, the training command. We're, we're under uh, Sinatra. Um, and uh, so we do actually do some flying for Sinatra for the legacy flight program. So we'll fly the T2 with the T45 Hawk, or we'll fly a T28 with a T6 Texan to kind oh, cool. of show the uh, the training command uh, sort of airplanes as well. So, How about this, Paul? Are you allowed to dogfight in this thing? Any of these? Oh, God, I, we do it all the time. Well, so, so how come you're not in touch with the Top Gun guys for their grad 1v1? Have they ever invited you out? Are you familiar with that term? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with it, but, uh, you know, never... Never done it. So, so we've done it. We've done a lot of, of, um, well, let me step back. So when I, I talked about, you know, military style flying, when mm-hmm. we first got the L39s, and there was a group of, of four of us that were flying together and we were learning formation flying. And we had some couple of buddies uh, that were uh, former Air Force guys. They were F-15 Eagle guys and an F-16 guy and an A-10 guy. So four of them. And uh, they saw us fly, you know, we, I think we did an air show and there's a civilian formation clinics that you can go to learn how to fly formation. Mm-hmm. And they saw us fly and they just about died. They said, are you guys serious? You really want to do this? You guys suck. <laughs> and we said, yeah, we really do. And they said, okay, if you really want to do it and you're really serious about it, we'll spend the time and we'll work with you and we'll train you. So we got each one of those guys in our back seat. So we had two Eagle guys, a Viper guy and a hog guy. And they literally put us through, for a couple of years, really, a highly disciplined formation. And we were practicing all the time to the point where we got really good. I mean, we were doing four-ship L-39 at air shows, aerobatic displays, you know, tight formations, split-ups, rejoin, all that sort of stuff, and got got really, really good at it. And then it kind of went on from there. And then we said, well, all right, we're done practicing. Let's go do some things. So we did a whole bunch of BFM and we were doing tack form. And we we're doing, I mean, we we're doing all the stuff. So, so we have done just about everything you can do from a training point of view, mm-hmm. other than, you know, shooting guns and dropping bombs. Right. Uh, and, but we still do. I go out um, in the F-86 and the A-4 and we do, you know, high aspect BFM a lot. Um, <laughs> Um, I don't do it as much anymore because I'm getting older and it's hard as your body. Oh, it is hard. Yeah, I know but, about uh, that. And I don't do the demo anymore because that's that was really hard. And, yeah. Uh, just getting too old for that right now. Yeah. No, I don't blame you. Well, but if you were to show up, so the grad one to be one for all the people that might listen to this later is uh, you go to Top Gun on a particular day and you have this big, great big brief and everyone who's there gets an envelope. And it tells you where to be at what time, at what altitude, and on what frequency. And when you show up, you fight whoever shows up opposed to you by a thousand feet. And then once you're there, you, you can talk on the radio to make sure everything's safe. But I've shown up in an F-18 and an F-16. And I've seen everything from an F-16 and an F-18 to an F-5. I saw a T-45 once. I saw a, a tornado, uh, which was yeah. a lot of fun. 
And so I think it'd be pretty cool to show up and see an F-86 or an F-86, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know how practical that would be, but yeah. I, I think... Well, I'll tell you this, the, uh, you know, doing uh, BFM between the F-86 and the A-4, you know, the A-4 was really a bomber, right? It's really an attack airplane. Uh, It was designed to fly fast and at treetop level, carrying 24 nuclear weapons. Today, it bristles with smart bombs and guided missiles. The B-1 bomber, called the bone by those who fly and maintain it, is the most heavily armed bomber ever built. Sleek and powerful, the bone remains a mainstay of American air power 50 years after its first flight. Hey everyone, this is Ken Katz, Call Sign Primetime. And my book, The Supersonic Bone, A Development and Operational History of the B-1 Bomber, tells the true story of this magnificent airplane. In this book, you'll read stories told to me by those who were there and see lots of great photos of the bone. Anyone with an interest in modern military aircraft will enjoy reading The Supersonic Bone. Available through the usual online retailers and aviation booksellers. Pick up your copy today. But they use it a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they they use it a lot for for uh, uh, a Top Gun uh, you know, oh, yeah. in the early days mm-hmm. uh, with the larger engine and stuff. So it it can fight pretty well. But uh, the F eighty six is way better. I mean, it doesn't have the roll rate, but boy, it's it's got better climb performance. Yeah. You know, it's, it turns that'd be eye opening for some you know saucy F eighteen Top Gun student to see that and think, <laughs> yeah. oh, I got this licked, and then lo and behold. Uh, yeah. Paul, how do you how do you stay current in all these airplanes? Is each one its own qualification? I mean, how do yeah, you... yeah. So, so all of these airplanes are uh, certified by the FAA as experimental exhibition category airplanes. Okay. So you have to get it's called an experimental authorization, but it's essentially an ATP check ride in the airplane. Okay. So every airplane, particularly the jets, you have to get training. You have to go to ground school. You got to get signed off by an instructor. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have to have an exam. You have to have a certain number of hours, all that kind of stuff. And then you get signed off to, to fly the airplane. So, you know, I've done all of those. And each time you do one, the next one gets a little bit easier. Sure. Um, and so I've, you know, over the years, I've built up a, really a lot of time in each of the airplanes. So I'm pretty comfortable with them. But the, the big question is, making sure that you remember <laughs> all the memory items. Right. Right. So if I, like in the T2 the other day, I hadn't flown that airplane in probably six months. <laughs> and so I was really stale in the airplane. Okay. Uh, so what I, what I did, and all, we have other pilots as well, and, and they do the same thing. I sat down with the NATOPS. I thumbed through the NATOPS, took a half hour. I sat down with the checklist. I went through the normal procedures. I went through all the emergency procedures. Then I spent 15 minutes in the cockpit and I touched every switch, figured out where my eyes are supposed to go, you know, all that kind of stuff. Went through all the procedures, all the way from startup to taxi to takeoff, then come back and land, shut down the whole bit. And then I, and we have a, a cheat sheet in the airplane, which has memory items on one side and operating limitations on the other side. So I just looked at that. And I said, okay. Fire in a cockpit, hot start, cold start, what do you do, blah, blah, blah. And then I look, turn around the other side, you know, max EGT on start, 515 degrees, max EGT continuous, 697, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and just refresh your memory. And then when you go out, you know, it takes a half an hour or 45 minutes, but 
if you have enough time in the airplane accumulatively, that half hour, 45 minutes, get your mind back in the game. Right. And so we'll do that with the F-86, with the, you know, the A-4. I haven't flown the A-4 in several months. I'll do the exact same thing. Mm. I've got probably 500, 400 hours of A-4 time. Wow. So it comes back pretty quickly. Yeah. But if you don't do it, two things happen. One is you forget if something happens, you forget the memory items, right. the operating limitations. And sometimes you get them confused with other airplanes. Right. Which can be a real problem if an aircraft has a peculiarity, right? So right. if there's something like, don't ever do this in this airplane, and eh, if you do it in this other one, it's okay. But I think not to excuse anything less than that, because that's a very professional way to go. And that's why there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, right? But um, I, I think right. some people walk out to their car and barely look at it. You put the key in the door, hop in and off you go. But of course, you can pull over when you have a problem. And I guess... All I'm trying to say is these are obviously expensive, but they're also cherished. There's few of them, and it's your butt in the seat when it comes right down to it. Right. And yeah. but I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a certain element of it that an airplane is an airplane. So maybe if if in that moment, even if you refreshed earlier, you can't remember the exact number. Sometimes you just I don't know if it's just a sixth sense or oh yeah, that's right. Those stick and rudder skills are very transferable. Right. I mean, whether it's the F-86, A-4, L-39, T-2, Mustang, you know, Mustang's a little different because of the torque issues with the prop. But the, right. the, jets, the jets are easy. I mean, they're, yeah. it's go fast, go slow. A, uh, a stall is a stall, right? Stall, yeah, it's all, they're all Ring very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get, you get into the, the things like the Mustang or the Sky Raider, and now you're talking about big round engine or a big radial engine with a big prop with a lot of P-factor and a lot of torque that you have to deal with. Then things get a little complicated. Yeah. But the jets are pretty easy, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, but you're right. I mean, best thing to do, you know, maintain aircraft control, slow down, uh -huh. you know. And, Give yourself some margin. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and I always said the takeoff and the landing are really the two times you really have to think about what am I doing right this moment? Yes. Because if you're up at altitude, we used to joke, if you had a fire at altitude, first thing you do, wind your clock. <laughs> because, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, like, yeah, you, got, you got you got 15 minutes before you hit the ground, right? Take, yeah, take take a deep breath and uh, and figure it out. But uh, yeah, I always just wondered. I mean, I flew the F-18 for the bulk of my career, and then when I jumped in the F-16, at that point, I thought, how am I going to remember? And then I, you just kind of do. I don't I don't know how yeah. else to explain it. But I imagine for you, you have that warm up period, like you said. And then again, if you have some proficiency, even if you're bouncing back between airplanes, it, it your brain back. can compartmentalize. Okay, hey, this is the A4. This is the T2. So, yeah. 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 What's the Sky Raider like? Uh, it is. It's a monster. I mean, yeah. it has uh, eighteen so two rows of nine cylinders. So eighteen wow. cylinders. 2,700 horsepower, 2,700 horsepower. So there's 36 spark plugs in the damn engine. <laughs> that takes the AMP a day alone, huh? Yeah, I know, exactly. Doing compression checks on, on oh, 18 gosh. cylinders and, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, it's uh, it doesn't have a real, it's sort of heavy on the controls. The stick is sort of, sort of short coupled, so you, okay. you, you know, the stick is down in almost between your knees, almost a little bit. It's sort of weird, but the best thing about it is taxiing around. 
because you got the canopy back and that it, it, this you know that 30 uh, r3650 is is just kind of just rumbling you know and it's like taxiing around in a harley or something though it's yeah. just really good yeah um but yeah no it's it's super good and it's um it's a uh, it's an interesting airplane to take to air shows because there's a lot of Vietnam veterans out there mm. and uh, a lot of guys that were on the ground in Vietnam or a lot of pilots that were downed in Vietnam and the Sky Raider was the search and rescue uh, airplane for for special ops search and rescue. Sandy, so they were escorting the helicopters, the Jolly Greens in. Um, you know, and they were laying down ground fire and they were protecting those guys on the ground. I can't tell you the number of times we've been in an air show with that Sky Raider and, and Vietnam veterans have come up and looked at the airplane and just touched the prop and started telling me stories about how this airplane saved their life in Vietnam. Wow. That's very, very cool. Very, yeah. Very cool. Well, you've got a lot of aircraft in the stable there that we'd like to get on this show eventually. And, uh, we, we try to do an aircraft series where we go through the whole litany of what is it made to do what does it do well and all that and yeah. the sky sky raider is a, a good one uh would love to get that on there because it's just i mean it's almost an airborne tank isn't it it's got it really what, is 10 hard points or more 11, 11 hard points <laughs> it's a eleven thousand pound airplane wow. and a twenty two thousand pound max takeoff weight so it can literally carry its weight in fuel and armaments wow and so we have we have our 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 airplane is not the airplane but it's painted up to be exactly the same as a picture that we found of a Sky Raider in a revetment in Vietnam flying for the 6th Special Operations Squadron in Vietnam. Mm. And we have a picture of the airplane. The airplane is called Bad News, so it has bad news on the side. Okay. And the the layout or the the armament layout underneath it, it's got uh, cluster bombs. It's got uh, 250-pound dumb bomb, you know, iron bombs with daisy cutter fuses, the fuse extensions on them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you know, a couple of, and a centerline fuel tank and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So we've got a uh, napalm and um, uh, white, Willie Pete, white phosphorus uh, bomb, exactly the way it was sitting in a revetment in Vietnam. That's cool. So let me ask you this, because I am reviewing some movie clips for a fighter pilot reacts type of video I'm doing tomorrow for an agency that reached out to me. And one of the scenes we're doing is the broken arrow scene from we were soldiers, which is one of my all time favorite movies. And they have all these flying scenes and it's hard to tell which is CGI and which is real, but the, the sky Raider in that footage looks very real. Do you guys do movies or is there another agency like you that does Hollywood type stuff? Uh, we have never done a movie. We've, uh, We've been approached a couple of times. Uh, we've done a couple of, um, you know, programs like on the Discovery Channel sure. or History Channel, you okay. know, where people will come and, and do like a feature of an airplane. And it's usually not a whole um, um, program. It's usually a clip, you know, a, like B-roll type stuff, like okay. a five-minute clip that goes in, gets integrated into a television show. Gotcha. That mm-hmm. way. Uh, but we've never done any uh, movie type things at all. Okay. Is there yeah. someone in Hollywood yeah. like you guys? Do you know? I mean, no, I, but know. you know, there's there's a fair amount of Sky Raiders. There's there's a lot of warbirds out on the West Coast. Yeah. And, you know, most of that stuff gets done out on the West Coast, and and uh, so there's there's probably, I mean, there's maybe um, five or six single seat Sky Raiders, and maybe another dozen uh, fat face Sky Raiders. <laughs> uh, you know, side by side. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and it's not tandem; it's side by side. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, so they're usually um, 
they're usually getting them out on the West Coast. Okay. Like so they, yeah, be, transit costs would be pretty pretty prohibitive. But well, you have the uh, the place in Chino. Uh, I forget the name suddenly, but um, Plains of Fame. Yeah, Plains of Fame. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, you doing the air show circuit. I wonder if you know Brad Lang. He's a captain with my airline. We flew together once, and he was talking about flying the P fifty one to different yeah, air he shows. Yeah, for the uh, Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, his dad was a Tuskegee Airman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. so he's the gentleman I'm hoping to get on the show because he just lives up in Torrance, wow, uh, hour, hour up the road. And we keep trying. And first it was the COVID, and now it's riots, and who knows what it'll be yeah, next. Right. But we keep, we keep trying. Yeah, and, no, uh, he's a good guy. I, he, I saw him on the air show circuit a few times, and he was flying the, uh, the red tail Mustang. Yeah, that's right. So we're hoping to have him on. And I haven't decided yet if we're going to talk about the P-51 or the Tuskegee Airmen. Maybe we'll talk about both. But yeah, that should be a lot of fun. So yeah, I imagine there is someone like I know there is for certain cars, like if you're going to film a 60s movie, there's a lot somewhere near Hollywood that's got a bunch of old 60s cars. And so I bet you there's someone who's who's got airplanes and uh, and does all that. So yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. So you're trying to get a P-40. uh, What is that? A Warthog? Or what do they call it? Uh, yeah, Thunderbolt. Uh, a Warhawk. Yeah, P forty seven yeah. would be the Thunderbolt. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah this would be the, the shark Hawk, t- yeah. the shark shark tooth, you know, um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Flying is, that the, is that what they call the uh, jug? No, that's the P forty seven. Okay. Jug, that's that's the P forty seven uh Thunderbolt. Okay. That was European theater. That was uh, uh. Yeah. I don't know my warbirds. I need to come out apparently <laughs> and uh, say hi. All right. So besides that one, anything else uh, on your wish list, if you will? Um, is it just a question of what's not, out there? Yeah, not really. I think we're getting, we're getting pretty limited in space right now as far as hangar space and things. And, uh, um, we've, we've deliberately decided not to expand the collection into like transports or bombers like B25 mm. or DC3. They're, they just take up so much room. Yeah. And, you know, you can put three Mustangs in the same spot that you can put a <laughs> 3 you know? Yeah. So I think that's about, if we get that one, if we get the P40, we won't do it for a while because we got to get the Corsair going and everything, but then I'd be hard pressed to figure out what else yeah. we really get. Yeah. But, All uh, right, Paul, let me ask you this. Let's say yeah. you've been two weeks away. Um, you've been working or busy with family or whatever, and you're finally back. And let's say you're in a good mood. You know, the world is the way it should be. You're feeling healthy and, and happy and you walk in, to your hangar or your compound or whatever you have. And of course you probably would have already decided this, but you look at everything and you say, I'm going flying. Where do your eyes stop? What, okay. what are you going to go jump in? The answer is it depends. All right. <laughs> Come on. That's my answer for everything. <laughs> but, I know. I know exactly. But uh, there's a reason for it. So let's say today, you know, I go up there and it's five or six o'clock. It's a beautiful day. The winds are calm. It's maybe, 90 degrees outside and you know it's one of those beautiful summer days i'm getting in the steerman uh because open cockpit you know takes off and lands at 60 or 70 miles an hour flies at 100 and i'll just i'll go up north and over the countryside and i'll fly around or i'll go down the shoreline or in chicago where we're from Mm-hmm. or whatever and you cannot beat it late late evening calm day warm day just gorgeous absolutely fantastic if i go up there and it's say a uh, a nice standard day 50 degrees crystal clear blue skies 
and I'm feeling, you know, young, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll get in the A4 and okay. I'll take it out and I'll, we got a practice area and I'll go out there and bring it out until I make myself sick. And then I'll come back and land <laughs> and then grab a beer and be happy. Yeah. Uh, so, Amen. But it all depends. And then sometimes yeah. the Mustang too. I mean, I've been, yeah. been flying the Mustang a lot lately and it's really a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. it's, just, it's just a great airplane. So. Do you, your picture on the website shows the A4 with the training wheels, as we like to call the two drop tanks. Do you fly it slick, or do, does it usually have the tanks on? We usually fly it with the tanks on. Okay. And it, I would prefer to fly it slick, oh. particularly when I was doing the demos, because I, I think it's 40 knots of drag. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I'm guessing. Maybe, maybe 20 knots of drag anyway. But uh-huh. um, So one of the passes that I would do would be a, about a high-speed pass at maybe 50 feet down the show line, 100 feet, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm trying to go as fast as I possibly can. And I was doing 510, 520. And with those drop tanks off, I know I could do 550. And and which would be about as fast as that airplane would go. But our maintenance guys won't let me take the drops off because if we have a gear problem, you want to land it on the drops. Right. And it saves the belly of the airplane and all that kind of That's stuff. That's what we were always told in flight school, Paul, when I went through in 1994, I think it was, that we had the TA-4J Skyhawks yeah. and never flew it without the two drop tanks. And that's why I called it training wheels, in case your, yep. your wheels didn't come down. Regarding the Stearman, did you ever happen to read Stephen Kuntz's book, The Cannibal Queen? Yes, I did. I Isn't that a it. great book? Absolutely great. <laughs> he gave, Absolutely. So he was our guest for the A6 Intruder episode. I went and visited him in Scottsdale, Arizona at his home. And I walked out with an armful of books like a school kid leaving the library. Oh, wow. And yeah. each of them was signed by him. And when he gave me the Cannibal Queen, he said, believe it or not, this is one of my most popular and asked for books. And I said, mm, okay, why? You know, I didn't really get into it because I was leaving. Yeah. But I read it and I just loved it. And it just, for anyone else, again, who's listening later, it just talks about him, like you just said, jumping in a Stearman and he went to all 48 oh, lower states. Yeah, and yeah. he had to dodge some thunderstorms and yeah. a lot of other adversity along the way. But it's just such a great story because he has such a knack for writing and you feel like yeah. you're right there with him the whole time. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, it was um, one of my favorite books uh, for sure. Good. Have you had a chance to meet him? I have not, no. Okay. Yeah, I felt very blessed to be able to. I literally sure. interviewed him right there in his uh, den at his house. It was great. Wow, cool. So yeah, great. one of the one of the many perks of having a podcast besides getting to meet people like you. There you go. Awesome. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So it's warbirdheritagefoundation.org, right? And it's a 501c3. It is. Yeah. Okay. Now, so people can just donate if they want, or they can call you and say, we don't actually, we don't really have anything set up to accept donations. Oh, really? Oh, come on. I mean, there's people that want to do that, I'm sure. Yeah. I know. I know. (laughs) Uh, But what we really like people to do is, Get on the website, warbirdheritagefoundation.org, look at the airplane, sign the guest book. We're just trying to get as many people to sign the guest book as we possibly can. We have a Facebook page that you can access. We have a little over 10,000 followers on Facebook. Oh, great. Uh, so, you know, we'd like to get people to, to, you know, sign up, follow us on Facebook. We're, we're just doing it because we really love warbirds. We love the warbird community. Uh, we like people to be interested in what we're doing and you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Uh, That's cool. People are awesome. 
Yeah. So well, I bet if you put a donate button up and then had a couple T-shirts, you could probably get some folks to uh, wear yeah. your your stuff at the air shows. But that's a whole new ball of wax. Then you got to deal with like I'm finding out right now we're trying to sell fighter pilot podcast merchandise to the sure. EU, and I got an email the other day. Hey, make sure you're uh, setting money aside for the VAT, right? The value added oh, tax. Yeah. I said, oh, for heaven's sakes! So I think what I think my web guy he just basically turned off sales to the EU for right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't great, but uh, well. So, yeah, well. But yeah, uh, then, then we do a lot of, we'll do some tours for, um, you know, uh, explorers or Civil Air Patrol or uh, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, uh, you know. Uh, local there in Illinois, his, basically. History clubs. Yeah, yeah. local. Uh, we did the United Airline Pilots uh, Retirees, Ben's Retirees Club. Cool. Uh, came in. A lot of those guys are former uh, uh you know, military pilots and stuff. And so they, they love, we did a, interestingly, we did a reunion for the 509th bomb group, which was the bomb group that dropped the bombs in Hiroshima. Oh, okay. And so they still had some people. In fact, um, the guy who was the navigator, the pilot is, is dead now. I forget his name, um, who actually flew uh, Enola Gay. Oh, uh, uh, um, it's Ch- uh, Chuck Sweeney, I think. Uh, yeah. Because no, I, mean, I no. thought I remember we had Chuck Sweeney, a different name on the show. And yeah. I want to say his that name was used, but maybe it wasn't. Yeah, I think Paul anyway. Tibbetts. Paul Tibbetts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Paul, Paul Tibbetts flew the other day. He's passed away, but but his bombardier navigator was a guy by the name of, I think it was Van Buskirk or something like that. Okay. I think he's passed away. But we had a we had a big reunion there with all the airplanes around, and they had a big banquet and the whole bit, and Van Buskirk was there, and he was actually the guy who pressed the button. Oh, wow. And, uh, so we got a chance to talk to him. It was interesting. And we've done some change of command uh, things. There, we've got a... Uh, the Great Lakes Naval Training Station is just almost right next door. So, you know, when there's change of command, you know, we'll, we'll have a change of command okay. there. Gotcha. Uh, things, you know, and little things like that. So, Paul, I was, I was halfway right. So according to quick search here, Charles W. Sweeney was the pilot who flew boxcar carrying boxcar. fat. He flew fat man uh, atomic bomb to N- Nagasaki. Okay. Yeah. So it was Tibbetts and Sweeney. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. uh, all right. Good. Cool. All right. Well, hey, I don't want to keep you all night. This is a lot of fun. I'm going to count you as a uh, friend of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. I'll put you in our Rolodex as an expert, and I want to come out and see you sometime or next oh, you time. Should. Yeah. If you once you get once the airlines get back going again, get a book a trip uh, to Chicago, go to the layover, and uh, come over. We'll go oh. fly. Some well, yeah. What do you have with two seats? Almost uh, not everything, I suppose. Well, but... you no, know, the T2. You, you've got T2. Oh so. yeah, I do. So we fly the T2. We fly the L39. <laughs> we put you in the back seat of the Mustang. T6, it's got two seats. What else do we have that has two seats? I'd probably you know, get air sick. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> wow, yeah, but it'd be fun. We'd have, I mean, we do that stuff all the time. That sounds great, Paul. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks very much for your time tonight. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. All right. Hey, well, I am back. Before you go, just a reminder that there are more happy hour discussions like that on our Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Go look for the Fighter Pilot Podcast. Not only can you get exclusive content like that, but you can help support the show. 
Anyway, uh, head on over to warbirdheritagefoundation.org and sign their guest book. I need to do that myself. And as I alluded to before, you might hear from Paul Wood again on the, actually the very next episode. Episode 86 might in fact feature the F-86 if we can get everything lined up. And that'll be cool because he's out there flying it. In fact, this very weekend, he's doing something in Washington, D.C., which will be cool. And so you might hear him next week if we can make it work. Now, before you go, in case you're wondering, we do have a glossary section on the fighterpilotpodcast.com website, and we explain different acronyms and terms there. But just real quick, a couple that you might not recognize, NATOPS, Naval Aviation Training and Operations Procedure Standardization. It is what we call the Bible for flying Navy aircraft. It's got procedures, limitations, contingencies, emergency procedures, everything. And that is what he was talking about studying before his flight. And then A&P, if you're not familiar with that one, that is an airframe and power plants qualification for folks who work on airplanes, kind of like being a mechanic for your car, but for airplanes. Anyway, you probably knew both of those. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you next time back for a regular episode on July 13th. Until then, enjoy your summer and your Independence Day weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.